Yeah, Theo could have gotten away. I hope Theo got away. I do too. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Die Hard. So, in the spirit of Christmas, and just to be different than everyone else, because we are definitely not the, you know, 100,000th podcast to be doing a Die Hard episode uh, on or near Christmas, but we decided to do Die Hard. Now, my question for you, David, and I think it's the most important question, is how have you not seen this film? So, I mean, I've seen large parts of it um, here and there. I will say that when I watched it, I was surprised at how much I hadn't seen. Um, how much like things that hadn't been connected. Uh, like for example, so he's just in that top floor by himself for like a huge part of the movie. And I guess when I popped in and out of like TV, I just assumed I was seeing the same part over and over again. It was like, no, he's up there quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think it's just one that I had seen so much of that I just like, I don't know, it never felt the need to just go and actually like watch it. Um, and it was one that I was like, you know, I will watch eventually. It just, I never really got to, um, I decided to start with the fourth and see live free or die hard. I saw that in theaters. Um, but I never made it back to this until, until now. Um, and I guess I'm, you know, I'm really glad you finally made me watch it. Cause I, I, I would have assumed it was always just kind of a great, action movie you know kind of like a maybe a b action movie but no it's actually just it's a great movie and then it is you know a really good action movie as well so yeah i mean i enjoyed it i I, as i fucking knew i would but (laughs) right like i was i was surprised i guess to the level of it that i enjoyed it well the thing is though is that yeah like on its surface it could just be like another run-of-the-mill action movie even it, like you said, even if it's a great action movie, it might have been just a subpar film. But you know, I really wanted you to kind of like take your time and and watch this, you know, as if you never seen a single scene from this film. And that's you know really hard because I I feel like this is one of the more famous action movies. Uh, to date, you know, that that pop culture ultimately takes a lot of reference from, a lot of lines are quoted from this film, and just kind of look at it, you know, through fresh eyes, uh, because I feel like this is not a lot deeper, but it has some more deep emotional parts to this movie, and a lot of, like, little nuance that we'll get into a little later that even, like, I've, I must have seen Die Hard over 20 times now there are still scenes that i forget that are in this movie that i'm like oh my god i i totally you know love that this happened but i totally forgot that this happened so we'll we'll begin in the beginning because first we have john mcclain who is you want to talk about the opening scene in the airplane well, yeah, I mean, so they established right away that he's got either a fear of planes or a fear of heights. Um, and I think that's kind of what they play off throughout is his, they're pretty subtle about it. You know, they, they bring it up here and there, but it's more of just kind of these throwaway lines. 
but yeah, like he's he's on the upper floors of this tall building, but he seemed to have like a pretty great uh, fear of heights. And then the, they also set up too the the weird thing where the guy's like, oh, you need to uh, you need to take your shoes off when you get there, and then just crunch, you know, make fists with your toes into the carpet. <laughs> I was like, that's so weird. And then as soon as he takes his shoes off, and I remembered. That's one of the things I remember is that he doesn't have shoes for the entire thing. I was like, oh, so that's, that's there so that he can have it, which is really like an interesting thought from like the writer director perspective of like, we want this guy to not have shoes the whole time. <laughs> like that's going to be like a character trait of John McClane in this movie is for some reason he doesn't have his shoes and we have to work backwards to get there. Well, what's crazy too is that you could have gotten like you could have gone about it through any which way, right? He could have spilled something on his shoes, or he could have, they could have like the soles could have popped or something, right? But I, I really like the writing because, especially in the beginning, it establishes all this. It sets up the shoe thing, you know. It establishes he's a cop, which seeing a gun on a plane even nowadays is like alarming to me um as it should be right but it's just like oh it's the 80s guns can be on planes and the guy just takes his word that john mcclain is a cop he's like i'm a cop i've been doing it for 11 years um how many times how many times before 9 11 did you ride on a plane um i've been to europe a couple couple times and and um Mexico a couple times as a kid yeah yeah so I only I think I rode on a plane like once or twice as like a very little kid um like from Florida to Maryland and so my main experience with planes is obviously post 9-11 <laughs> but yeah like it's a completely different world before that like you could ride at your gate minutes before and just get on a plane like I do remember my brother used to fly a lot um, and we would just wait at the gate for him. Yeah. As a completely normal thing, just right there. And so it's so crazy. Like the, the way that things have changed from that, obviously, but, but you also set up on that, on that flight too. the uh, he checks out the stewardess and then he checks out the hot girl running to her boyfriend. And then you, and then you kind of find out, oh, he's married. And you're like, oh, that's odd. But then you find out like they're estranged. Um, and then you I get wonder why. And then you get it. Well, it's not because of that, but <laughs> you get introduced to Argyle, who like you could just basically call it. He's an exposition character. Oh, I like, don't care. I, I, Argyle is like one of my favorite characters of Die Hard. No, no, he's great. Uh, I just love the fact that he's like. Hey man, tell me your life story in like a very concise setting so we can get this information out to the audience. Well, it's just, it's great because they have this like awkwardness where he's like, it's my first time riding a limo. And then John is like, it's my first time riding in a limo. And then the next scene is he ends up in the front seat of the limo, which I thought was just like, cause it kind of really establishes what kind of guy he is. You know, he's a, he's a no nonsense. You know, he doesn't really like the, extravagant extra stuff um down to earth kind of guy um and it's just him just riding in the front seat of a limo establishes that so quick um right and then they also established that they're estranged 
why they're estranged, the fact that she moved to LA for her, her career. And he basically decided that she's not going to make it. So she'll come crawling back to me. And it never worked out that way. Well, a lot of things are like really heavy handed in exposition. And because like you said, this Argyle scene is one of them. Another one is like, when you are first introduced to Holly is you see the back of her head for the longest time, which I, th- I found really interesting. And then, and then it's like this pan of like children photos, like, you know, her kids photos, and then a pan to like a family photo and John is in there. It's like, oh, it's not like we knew who she was before all this, right? No, yeah, it's just a random person that we're following. And and then, you know, she calls her house, you know, her housemaid and has John called. Oh, I just assumed he'd call before the flight. And then she slams the photo down, which obviously becomes very important for the rest of the movie. Right. Um, and then John gets to Nakatomi Plaza and looks up, you know, Holly McLean on this computer, like very technologically advanced computer screen. Right. And he types in M and she's not there. And then he realizes, oh, oh, holy shit. Like, she just like got rid of my name. Um, yeah, just in case you weren't clear on how strange they actually were. <laughs> right. Well, when I took it too, it also could have been like a lot of people in upper positions in business, things like that, like to have like their last name. And at, at that point, I was, you know, like to not change their name when they're married, um, you know, women, especially obviously. Uh in that situation. And I, at that point, I wasn't sure, you know, what the ages of the kids were at all, or, you know, at what point, um, I didn't, I knew they had kids, I guess, but I wasn't even sure, like, you know, any of that information. So it, I, I wasn't exactly positive on the name thing, but it, it does then lead to that, that argument they have, um, about the name and like how <laughs> I thought it was a pretty cool scene and how like they also, they have the argument, but they get over it very quickly. Like when right. she has to go do something else and he just like realizes I'm an idiot. Why do I like bring these things up and start these arguments? Right. You know, it, it, it shows his love for her, which I think is important to establish early, but it's done in like a, a kind of a different way. Yeah. Um, when we, we, you know, when we were first introduced to the building, um, I love everything that they do to like, make sure we as the audience are paying attention to certain details like the one guard at the front and then the guard kind of by the elevators and then the her name and certain things like that seem irrelevant the first time you watch this but then obviously they come up in really dramatic ways throughout the movie and i feel like that happens a lot like that happens with the shoe thing and you know etc etc but uh one of my favorite things is actually his fear of heights. And, and we'll get into that later. Um, what do you think about how, so they spend the first like 12 minutes of this movie establishing you know, Holly and John McLean, but then you're introduced to the villains of the story. Uh, I, I like the introduction to the villains. Um, the first villain you get introduced to actually is Ellis as he's first hitting on Mrs. Gennaro, Holly McLean, uh, and then is doing coke in her office, uh, which I love as, you know, as John walks in and is introduced to him by one of the, uh, I think it's Takagi. Um, 
and uh ellis like tries to wipe it all away and then john's just like you missed some like you know i'm a cop i noticed it i'm not really on duty i can't do anything about it um but then you're introduced to the actual bad guys and uh the first thing i noticed was pretty happy about is uh trevette from walker texas ranger the uh the hacker yeah uh types with two fingers which i thought is like pretty key like two fingers on each hand like moving them over back and forth uh you know that's what you want in a hacker i believe um and then the other thing i noticed too is one so there's trevette from walker texas ranger uh-huh. there's hans gruber right there's carl there's his brother who dies very early who i don't even know the name anymore of and then there's just a bunch of random dudes who apparently have names on IMDb for their, you know, their characters. Um, but like, you never hear them. Um, I, there are a couple that are like, you know, like your run of the mill, you know, uh, what, what is it called? Um, henchmen, right? The, the henchmen. But I, I actually really like that part about Die Hard that you have Hans Gruber played by Alan Rickman rest in peace but he could have been it right it could have just been him and fuck all with everyone else but the fact that they gave so much personality to the hacker to carl um and like their own little revenge plot line there i i just really like the attention to detail and the you know uh extra stuff that they didn't have to give to some of the henchmen but they did you know i I also really appreciated how hands-on hans gruber was Mm. like he was taking care of a lot of stuff that he could have left to other guys and just he could have had a more manager role in this but he was like going up to the floors to check in the wires and he was going downstairs to check the front door. Like, I don't know if this was a lack of trust. Was this a new team or is he just, he likes to get, you know, his hands in the dirt when, you know, they're pulling jobs. And I, I appreciated that. One thing I really liked about Alan Rickman's portrayal of Hans Gruber is how absolutely calm and collected he was through almost the entire thing. Right. And I think, Hans Gruber is probably one of the most like meticulous, intelligent, calm kind of bad guys you can have in a movie. And the way his intelligence is shown is not in sort of a flashy, um, I know so much. It's more in a, I've planned this out so well. I've, I'm just prepared beyond like anyone's recognition, like the cops no one's going to be able to realize how well I have planned this. And um, I think that's really seen in the, the first real scene you get to, to meet Hans is in the, the Takagi scene where he kind of takes him up into his office and starts questioning him. I, I love that uh, Takagi's like, you want money? What kind of terrorists are you? And I was like, They're terrorists. That's, <laughs> uh, that's terrorism. Um and then he's the Takagi's like the code won't get you into the vault. And I, I love Alan Rickman. Uh, his response is like, well, then, then that means there's no reason to not give it to us. If it won't right. get us in the vault. Like, then right. absolutely. Um, but then also Hans Gruber will, will shoot someone very quickly. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, one of my favorite scenes is between Ellis and, and Hans Gruber, where John McClane is, is trying to talk Ellis down and he's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. He's talking to Hans at this point. And he's like, hey, man, he doesn't know what kind of guy you are. Like, you know, I know what kind of guy you are, but he doesn't know. And it's all due to that scene where John McClane witnesses Takagi got his head blown off. And then John is like beating himself up afterwards being like, oh shit, I could have stopped that. Like, but I mean, really could he have, honestly? What I think is interesting too about the, the Takagi scene is that he sort of blows his own cover once, uh, once the shooting happens, which I thought was very kind of interesting for like the main protagonist badass in an action movie is that he freaks out and like hits the table and runs off and it alerts the henchmen who then check a locked door and they're like all right everything's clear no need to go through this locked door um and yeah the the ellis thing i guess we can get to now um first of all they establish ellis as an asshole immediately and then it's interesting because you think this this movie does a great job of like taking your expectations on action movies and then just not giving you what you expected because you think Ellis is going to immediately sell out John McClane and Holly. But instead, he just pretends that he invited John. He gives them all this information, but keeps Holly safe. Right. And then uh, you hear the gunshot, and I thought that was just to fuck with John, that he had shot him. And then you see the, the body later, like being the lifeless body. It's like, oh, he did actually which is kind of an interesting, you already shown one person gets shot. I'm almost wondering if maybe that's a sensor issue. Um, it could have also just been, hey, we showed one person get shot. Let's do it in kind of a different way. Let's, you know, just keep things interesting. Right. I do love, um, you know, you were, you texted me when you were watching this and I was watching at the same time that um, just fucking Ellis, like you hate him. Yeah. But I love uh, Booby, Hans, Booby, baby. Let's make a deal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's one of those villains that you just kind of love to hate. And uh, I mean, he's a total asshole. There's no getting around that. And but he's kind of, I guess you would say he's kind of a hero in his own mind. Like he thinks if he does this, um, things will be better, right? And he, there's even scenes where he's like, you know, turns to Hall and he's like, your freaking husband is going to get us killed. Like, he needs to, like, stop doing what he's doing. And I love all of Holly's reactions. She's like, you know, sitting there as a hostage. And every time this uh, henchman gets mad or something, she's like, well, must be the shit my husband's pulling, you know? Oh, yeah, late in the movie, John's still alive. And the other lady's like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? She's like, John, he's doing this. <laughs> um, I, I do also love, like, as uh, as John escapes, he's like, oh, man, I hope Argyle's hearing this and has called the police and then cuts to Argyle just dancing in the back, talking to some girl. Um, what is Argyle doing with himself that he's, like, been in this car for, like, four or five hours just chilling? So what's so interesting is, and I knew this would come up, is that most of the actual runtime of the movie is like in real time to what is happening 
like if it was real life you know what i mean like it's episode 24 sure 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 exactly and at the point where hans gruber locks down like the entire doors and like locks the parking garage doors where argyle at this point physically can't you know get out it's only been like 30 minutes and i I love this because the the sh- movie moves so fast in the fact that you're introduced to our characters and Hans Gruber breaks in with all of his henchmen and you know John McClane starts foiling their plans and this all happens in like the first 30 40 minutes of the movie. Right. I do love, you know, so they send someone up to find John. He ends up breaking that guy's neck and it turns out to be the brother of, you know, the lead badass henchman. And uh, Carl. Well, Carl, yeah, Carl's the lead badass. I don't remember his brother's name. Um, and I do love that the his brother was like, uh, you know, you're a policeman, you can't hurt me. Uh, and he's just like, yep, my captain keeps telling me that too. Uh, and then you pan to Hans Gruber just, in all of his glory saying we've left nothing to chance and then a dead body shows up on the elevator like he's given this big speech to all the hostages right um you know that like they did a lot of the good like timing comedic uh you know someone says something and the exact opposite happens right away yeah um <laughs> i just i think if anything you know die hard is just full of those moments that are just amped up by like 80s cheesy dialogue and one-liners which obviously makes it the great movie that it is um what one of my favorite and, and you have this all the time right when they send more guys up to kill john and you know john's under the table right uh, and the guy is above him and he's like you should have shot me when you had the chance. You're, you know, pussy for uh, hesitating. Wow, wow, you couldn't have, you couldn't have fucked that up more, could you? Like you couldn't have written down the quote when you were watching it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. You know what he said I next. Mean. He said next time, don't hesitate. And then John shoots him like seven times and says, "Thanks for the advice." And it's cheesy, but it's so awesome, especially since he shoots him through the fucking table. It's, it's. It's great. Um, doesn't he do something with the body? Oh, yeah. Then he throws the body out the window. No, yeah. He throws the body out the vi- window because he needs to get uh, Car- Carl Winslow, Al, to notice uh, to notice what uh, what's happening. You know, he makes several attempts, and then he, he calls the, uh, like, I guess a restricted line, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? You, know, you, you need to call 911. He's like, it's like, do you not think I would have tried that? <laughs> um, but I... But- I Real quick, I think the whole like conflict between John McClane and Hans Gruber is so well done, but also confusing as hell. And what I mean by that, and I know we're going to get into more of it in a second, but Hans Gruber is like we've established this very intelligent, meticulously uh, planned guy. And John McClane is this, this like, off the cuff, badass, you know, shoot first, ask questions later, cop, uh, macho, macho cop guy. Um, 
and that's a good thing that the movie is trying to say, right? That it's better to be macho than, you know, smart and meticulous, or at least, you know, since they made one the antagonist and one the protagonist, that's what we're coming off of. But every time they introduce some like head of the police chief or, uh, you know, an FBI agent, they're somehow more macho than Bruce Willis. And that's just there just to fuck everything up. Yeah, I love how, I guess it's like the captain or chief of the Los Angeles Police Department or whoever, the, the, the white guy that keeps telling Al, like, oh, you know, I'm in charge here. He's like an asshole in the beginning. And then when the bigger FBI assholes come in, he's now like a good guy. He's like, I don't really think they should be going in. Oh, we shouldn't attack the roof. We should tell them to come back. Yeah. <laughs> and Al's just like, look at him like, that's what I fucking said like three hours ago <laughs> or apparently 15 minutes ago in the timeline you're giving me. Um, back to, you made several points right there, but back to the point about Hans Gruber, I, I think he, the, the, I said, you know, how intelligent he is. You know, John is able to get through to the cops and all the other underling henchmen start freaking out about this. And he's just like, why are you freaking out? We want the cops to come. They're coming a little early. None of this matters if you don't get the detonators back. Go get the fucking detonators like I keep telling you to from right. this guy with no shoes and quit caring about the cops showing up. And at the same time, too, it's like he... They also care about the cops showing up, but then they're like shooting. <laughs> Every single one of them is shooting at... That officer Al, like, like obviously now the cavalry is going to come. So it's like he's just so above the rest of them, and he's just so, like, he's so in the game of what needs to be done. I just think it's so smart, and you don't find this out until much later, that to get through the unpenetrable, like, six wall of security for the vault where all these bonds are, is that the power has to be cut off from the main grid. And the only way to do that is for them to, the city to do that. And the only way the city's going to do that is to have direct uh, instructions from the FBI to do that. And that's all thought of from him. Like, I thought that every time I see that, I'm like, genius. What what's interesting about that part to me is when the FBI show up, it's almost they almost paint them as either incompetent or in on it. Like the the two FBI agents are just like such assholes, but then also like literally every decision, every action they make could not be more wrong if they wanted to. It's like it's like Hans Gruber is telling them what to do. They make so many mistakes. Um, and the other thing that's cool about Hans too is he's he's not like unreasonable because Holly comes in, uh, Mrs. McLean, to ask for some things and she like makes a comment to her and then she makes like a one-liner snide remark back and he just kind of smiles. He's like, okay, I like this lady. Um, and he like gives her immediately gives her what she asked for. She, you know, she asked to go into an office for a couch for the pregnant lady. He's like, I'll bring a couch out to you. And then he's like, and she's like, you know, we need to take bathroom breaks. He's like, okay, I'll allow it. And then I love like, as he walks, as she's walking out, he's like, Oh, what's your name? And she's like, 
uh, she, he's like, what's your name, Mrs. or something like that. And uh, he's like, she's like, Miss Gennaro. <laughs> like, cause she's also intelligent too. She's like on his level as far as like knowing what the score is and how I need to stay hidden because I know John's out there. So it's like, there's like the cat and mouse game with John and Hans, but then there's also the cat and mouse game with Holly and Hans, which is cool. And, you know, I mentioned, I've seen this movie like 20 so times and just this like watch about it. Uh, I understood finally how he connected the dots so fast when the news reporter showed her kids up on TV. He must have like recognized the kids from the pictures on her desks, knew it was her desk. And then the kid in the te- on the television said, mommy and daddy. And that's what prompted him to lift the final photo. And I thought that whole sequence was just one really smart of him to just connect it all together. But two, like really cool how you could almost see his thought process completely like written out. Right. Um, yeah, well, cause he's also, she gives a little look towards the push down picture. And I almost think that connected in his head a little bit too. What I love about this movie is at any point they could have had him find out about her and he doesn't find out about her until like 20 minutes left in the movie, which I think is a really cool way to not have that bog down the plot with, Oh, my wife is captured and Oh, I need to make this deal. And Oh, that like it, that if you do that too early, I think it eliminates a lot of the potential action because now you're in the I can't kick ass phase because they have my wife. And so leaving that till the end, I think is a very smart move. It, it makes the movie much more enjoyable to me. Agreed, agreed. Um, through everything, and I think this is the point where Hans and John have been talking on the radio uh, for like a while. Um, when the cops show up and then the cops kind of like disrupt that. Oh, by the way, the, the FBI agents, the ones who go into the helicopter, you know who they remind me of? Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie with uh, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, the other guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know Samuel L. Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson's roles? Mm-hmm. They are almost to a T exactly like those guys. Uh, I can see it a little bit. I haven't seen the other guys since like it came out in theaters, but I can I can see it a little bit. Just like think they're like the hottest shit, the baddest of asses, and doing you know, kind of like badass stuff is the way they got killed. One little tiny plot line that I really enjoyed is the uh, the newsman who really needs this story to like pick his career up, and he's trying to steal a van. And as he's talking to, I guess, a producer about taking a van, the, the anchor just like says something to him and he just tells him to eat it, Harvey. And apparently Harvey just gets completely thrown off by that. Right. And it's like, like the, the, they go live and he just doesn't know what to do anymore. And then later on, they have like this guy on when this full terrorist story is taking place. And he says, you know, um, 
yeah, a lot of people suffer from Helsinki syndrome. And he goes, Helsinki, Sweden. And then his producer's like, it, or someone else like, it's Finland. And he right. just looks like an idiot straight at the camera. And then he like, just continues on like whatever the hell he was saying. Right. No, that part's great. But then I love the the asshole newsman like figures out that John McClane and Holly McClane are married and that they have kids and goes to the house threatens to report the maid to INS because he's saying she's probably illegal, interviews the kids, blows Holly's cover. And I love at the end when he tries to get the question and I was like, I really hope John punches him. And then she punches him. That was amazing. That was, that was great. Yeah, I, I agree. Hey, you know, what's occurring to me now is when Hans Gruber lifts up the family portrait to see John McClane and Holly in the same photo. Does Hans know what he looks like at that point? Oh, he does because of the conversation they had on the roof face to face, right? Correct. Which is also another brilliant Hans moment because he's completely caught and just immediately fakes an accent and is totally believable and gets out of the situation which does then lead to the handing a guy you don't trust an empty gun and them not knowing it and then clicking the gun and it being empty, which you've seen in a thousand movies now. So let me ask you this, because maybe you can, you can clear this up for me. By the way, that Hans Gruber and John McClane scene where he, Hans pretends to be a hostage, um, that's the scene I always forget that's in the movie and it like happily surprises me every time I see it. Um, but the thing I, I need you to help clear up for me is when I forget the, the name that Hans gives John, it's something like Bill pull or Bill plunge or something like that. And John looks at the directory and there is actually like a W plunge or whatever fake clay. name. Is it Bill clay? Bill clay. Yeah. And there's like a William clay in the directory. But that still doesn't tip him off. Well, it it did tip John off, but I don't really know how. Um, maybe because that's when he hands him the empty gun, right? Yeah, exactly. So that is just, I think what you can take away from that is he saw the sign, Hans saw the sign, Hans pulled a random name from that sign. And now John's like, hmm, is that guy actually William Clay? And we're just lucky that he was able to, you know, that he happens to be on that sign or did he read it and is telling me that. Um, and so that's kind of leads to, to, the, to the gun thing. And, and I do like, right, that scene leads to Carl and a bunch of other henchmen coming up and saving Hans Gruber right then. And John is stuck in an office and Hans Han noticed that, oh, this guy doesn't have shoes on. So shoot out the glass. Right. Um, which is just another like quick on your feet, pun intended, moment where he's just kind of playing all the angles smarter than everyone else. And um, it, it, it also does make me question, I guess he just couldn't get to him, but John leaves the detonators when he runs away. Yeah. I guess maybe he didn't know what they were at that point, which is quite possible. 
because later on he he's like why was hans up there and then he goes back up there and just finds like a shit ton of explosives so maybe he just didn't know what they were well that whole scene you know him pretending he he's uh bill clay and everything it there is a point in the movie where john mcclain is like i don't know what to do they have the detonators they have the hostages they're gonna blow the roof and i have no way of convincing anyone like he's kind of, oh no he doesn't know they're gonna blow the roof but he's at the he's kind of at a stalemate with them like i don't know what they're gonna do i don't know what their plan is and i have no way of figuring it out and all of this leads him back to the roof being like okay since that was hans gruber what was he doing up there in the first place because he was not expecting me and so i love this like all of a sudden john becomes like i'm not saying at any point mclean was a stupid guy but now at that moment i feel like he's almost on the same like playing field intelligence wise as hans gruber you know well it does take a story from al that he's a uh that he's a killer that he like shot a 13 year old and then he just says i think john says some line about the man upstairs and then it clicks like oh wait hans was the man upstairs right why was hans upstairs um i think we need to step back i need i think we need to talk more about al's backstory because it's so interesting how they're just giving us like all this detail about these minor characters then go ahead okay so you know Al's whole thing is that he shot this 13 year old kid who had like a toy gun. It was nighttime and he couldn't see. And, you know, he, I guess he usually is like a desk jockey, but he decided to work the streets that night and he found himself in this whole. You know, for a movie you've seen 30 times, you seem to have a struggle. He worked the streets and then he became a desk jockey once he shot a 13 year old. No, that's what I'm saying. But on on this night, he decides he was, getting, he was just getting donuts. Oh, was he just getting donuts? He, he just, just took the he took the call though. He was the closest officer. I I mean, they show him. He walks out of the gas station and just like, oh, there's Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah, I mean, okay, I I all right, yeah. So he goes there, and all you know, all the shit happens. I do love how he just hits his car in reverse and he doesn't stop. And then later on, uh, when he's telling this like heartfelt story, he's like, John, I was in an accident. And he's like, yeah, the way you drive. I just, it's like another quippy thing. Right. Um, and you, at the end, when one of the bad guys has survived, Carl, and he's about to shoot the McLeans, they then just do a very tight, close-up of a gun shooting him and i'm just like come on guys everyone knows who's holding the end of that gun there's no need to hide this just show al in all his glory gunning down carl i think that's pretty great i think a lot of people have a problem with how cheesy that does come off but i think it's like well warranted like it and it's funny too because at the moment where spoiler alert hans gruber dies and we'll get to exactly how John pulls that off. Holly gets her perfect revenge for the asshole news reporter guy. Carl gets his perfect like redemption arc for shooting Carl. And it's like all these characters, even um, freaking Argyle, like bust through the the chain link fence 
um oh no he he busts into the the fake ambulance that um the With walker the escape, yeah, yeah. The escape vehicle Trivet. Yeah. yes so um everyone gets like their own little like uh little satisf- satisfied ending right and except for the fbi agents who uh you know are willing to lose 25% of the hostages and then start shooting it at John McClane. Um, I do think we can get sort of to the ending because Hans figures out that Mrs. McClane is, you know, Mrs. McClane. And I love the, he just starts shooting wildly in the air. He's like, Mrs. McClane, nice to make your acquaintance. Like, which is, I, you know, in these type of movies, I think the cheese is not only warranted, I think it's, it's funny like it's good it's like it's the reason you love 80s action movies or early 90s action movies is because of that not in spite of it right you you know what though because even at this point where you know john basically saves all the hostages the roof is still blown off and um the helicopters are blown to to pieces Hans is pretty much one in his mind. He has the the bonds. He's about to go down and escape. Um, and what what's so cool about this is that even at the point where he has Holly hostage at gunpoint, and he's down to like one henchman, he's still like completely calm about the situation until well i i love it because it shows you and like you know like i mentioned the thought process is being like basically written out for all to see but john basically has two bullets left in his gun none in the machine gun in the handgun none in the machine gun and then it zooms in on this like christmas wrapping paper and some tape and you're just supposed to like I don't know, get it? I mean, whether you get it or not, it, it gets explained for you. Um, and this does bring to uh, the burning question I had for you, because um, obviously John tapes a gun to his back, shoots Hans Gruber, uh, who falls to his death, uh, and shoots the other henchman. Who said yippee Kaye motherfucker better? Which is your favorite? Is it is it John McClane or is it Hans Gruber? So if I'm not mistaken, and I think this, I think UVK motherfucker actually gets said more in like every other rendition of Die Hard apart from the first one. Because I think John McClane says it once, like in the radio, kind of like. Hans Gruber says, all right, whatever cowboy. And he says, oh, he says, oh, so you're a real cowboy. And he says, yippee-ki-yay. It's like a very subtle line. Right. Um, just as like a throwaway. And it's obviously become what it's become. Yeah. Um, but answer my hard-hitting question. I think for the sole fact that Alan Rickman has this accent that's just so great. And he says it in like this, just such a, such a wrong It's Alan Rickman. Don't think about it. It's Hans Gruber. It's much better. I I love the way uh, Bruce Willis says it. It's just so subtle, just rolls off quickly. But it's it's Hans. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. 
motherfucker. It's, it's just great. Um, and then, of course, you get to see Rickman's face as he falls, which is clearly like him falling into what, like a green screen? Well, you have to give another th- seemingly throwaway line a lot of credit at this point in the movie. When John first meets Ellis and he wants Holly to like show off her company watch that she got and he's like it's a rolex and then that's the one thing that's like that hans is like holding on to and like it falls with him i don't know it's like it's like a special attention to writing like that that i'm just like absolutely loving for this film you know what i love is when you have the uh the asian henchman who's like waiting for the siege for the police but then is like looks around to see if anyone's watching as he steals a crunch bar. <laughs> That's the type of thing that I come to die hard for. Or my, my absolute like favorite line scene quick point is when he's asking, when uh, Hans Gruber's asking for all these people to, to be released from around the world, these you know fellow brothers in arms. And he says, uh, Asian Don and Carl just gives him this weird look. And he's like, I read about them in Time Magazine. <laughs> Like, that's my absolute favorite is he's just like even though he's like totally in control of this like crazy situation he's still like we're fuck around and have a little fun um when i don't even know his character name the guy from walker texas ranger what's his name in this, in this? Theo. Is, is it theo when theo first walks into the building with carl i think it's carl and they're just like having this like kind of zany conversation and then he shoots the security guard and then Theo's like, bing, bang, boom. Like, it just his whole personality is just extra for this. And I love it. I live for every moment of Theo. They don't show anyone telling everyone. I mean, Theo is the one henchman that survived. Uh, and no one's like, you know, no one mentions like, oh, he's in the garage. Presumably they find him. But, uh, you know, Theo could have gotten away. I hope Theo got away. I do too. I mean, like he was just breaking into a safe. I do question one, uh, FBI agents can just tell like a local power grid worker that they can like, you're going to lose your job. Yeah, I no. What? No. And then I feel like a safe that has $640 million in it and other valuable Japanese uh memorabilia uh relics um artifacts artifacts i feel like uh you know that should have like a a backup power generator possibly or i don't know like a thousand security people in front of it like armed guards yeah why are you just keeping i mean it is a really nice safe what does takagi and you know holly Gennaro's company exactly do to keep a safe with that there in the building that they work out of. Well, there is that very uh, funny, culturally inappropriate line at the beginning when he's like, well, Pearl Harbor didn't work. So now we're trying to get to you with tape decks. Um, so they might just be like a, a you know, technology company. I, I don't really know, but they're apparently pretty big and big enough to where like, Holly was willing to move to LA and kind of hurt her marriage over, although you can probably blame that on John. Um, But yeah, I I would imagine something like that. Um, The last line that I really (laughs) love is as Hans Gruber is falling, 
the the chief of police is like man i really hope that's not a hostage (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um i you know i like i said i i've watched this movie many many times usually around the holidays um it's probably just this tradition I'll, I'll keep up because uh, I, I love this film. I think it has so many golden moments in it. So I'll keep watching it. Is this the film that you think you could like revisit, keep watching it every year, forever, for the rest of your life? I mean, Groundhog's Day is usually my go-to Christmas movie, but I think, um, you know, I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I definitely, I talked to my wife about she kind of got mad at me because she wanted to watch this with me, but I needed to watch it uh, sooner. Um, but we talked about watching two and three. Uh, so yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I'll definitely uh, watch it again. Um, and I'm glad that I finally got to it. Well, I'm glad you finally got to it too. Well, thanks for uh, listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David. And I finally watched Die Hard. <laughs>